0: This is Still Rowing, a High Five Live podcast, where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in Jesus Christ and His Restored Church. Matt Whitaker is a producer, director, and screenwriter. For over 25 years, Matt has been writing and directing for film and television. A specialist in the World War II genre, his numerous produced screenplays include the critically acclaimed war films Saints and Soldiers and Instrument of War. He has created, produced, or directed over 100 commercials and short films shot in more than 30 countries around the world. His directing credits also include multiple award-winning documentaries for PBS, including Ancestors and Small Fortunes, Micro Credits, and The Future of Poverty, featuring the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Muhammad Yunus, and Academy Award-winning actress, Linda Hunt. In 2002, Matt and a film crew traveled to Germany with the last surviving member of a teenage resistance group. This powerful experience led to the PBS documentary, Truth and Conviction, the Helmut Hubner Story, which has prepared the way for the dramatic series Truth and Conviction, which is slated to begin filming in Lithuania in the summer of 2023. Now, Matt did not ask me to include the following piece. However, I am now passionate about this project to tell Helmut Hubner's story. So I wanted to include... That, similar to the production studios who brought us The Chosen, the Truth and Conviction series has partnered with Angel Studios and you have an opportunity to be a part of its creation. So, to learn more about the Truth and Conviction series and even become involved in helping to get it made, you can go to angel.com truth. Matt has been married to his beautiful wife, Nisia, for 32 years and they have three children and, most importantly, an incredible first grandchild named Blair. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Stratford-Gale. I'm grateful to be with you today, and I'm even more grateful to have our guest, the talented Matt Whitaker. Matt, thanks for being with me today.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Kimberly.
0: (laughs) I know Matt and Nisia, they were actually, he was actually my bishop when I was first married. Chad and I were first married, and we got to be (laughs) in your board. It was foundational. It was great. I mean, that was like eight years ago, but we still... Think of Matt and Nisia as dear friends. And it's very cool to get to talk to Matt about his amazing new project, which, is, uh, we, which was alluded to in his bio um, about the story of Helmut. So today, I just want to preface this by saying that when Matt originally told me about this story, it's a sacred story. It's, it's a true story, and it's about a young teenager who gave his life for truth. And it's important that when we talk about these these sacred moments in history, we don't want to take things out of context and we want to respect his purpose and his life. So we hope to do that and I hope Matt can share his story and that we can keep this story and keep its sacredness um, as we talk about it and as you share it with your friends and family because I know that this story isn't something you can keep to yourself. Immediately when I heard it, I wanted to share it with everybody and I only knew a small taste of it. I only got a small taste of it, but... Um, it's beautiful to share. So, Matt, let's just jump right into this. You have been working on this project for a long time. Take us back to why and how you knew that you needed to tell Helmut's story.
1: You bet. I uh, yes. Yeah, so back in it was in 2001. I was actually working on a another PBS documentary about World War II. So. World War Two is just I have such a huge interest in it. My <laughs> my dad was a B twenty four bomber pilot in wow. World War Two in Europe. So I mm. kinda grew up with this real interest in it. And I was doing a, a another documentary. Um, actually it was it was it was for BYU television. That's okay. what it was for. Of course it aired on on, P- on PBS, but um, and it was about LDS veterans of World War Two. Mm. And and in that I was interviewing um, of course, American and British um Veterans of World War II who were members of the church, but I also was interviewing German veterans who served in Hitler's army who were members of the church.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and within that, and so I, that opened up a new, you know, a new door for me, kind of understanding that perspective of it. And while I was doing that, uh, a colleague of mine asked if I had ever heard of Helmut Hubner, mm. uh, this teenage resistance fighter in Nazi Germany who was a member of the church and i said
0: teenage yeah, oh my yeah he was yeah. so he
1: was 16 years old mm-hmm. when he was leading uh, this resistance group of other teenagers oh uh in in hamburg germany where he where he lived and i i said well i've never heard of it but man i'm interested yeah. and he said well i think the last surviving member of this resistance group just lives about 45 minutes away from here you know should we see if we can meet him and so he knew his name. His name was Karl Heinz Schnibbe, was his name. And he said, I don't know how to get a hold of him. Let's see if he's in the phone book. <laughs> so we literally opened up the phone book. Yeah. And there was his name. And we cold called him. <laughs> oh, my word. And, uh, and asked him, you know, we introduced ourselves. We're documentary filmmakers. Um, and, and we said, you know, would you be willing to let us come up and, and would you be willing to share your story with us? And, wow. and Carl said, Yeah, sure. Come on up. <laughs> Just so, so kind. So we went up to his home and sat down in his living room and he shared this story that mm. has changed my life.
2: Wow.
1: And I can remember walking out of his house that day, just saying to myself, we have to tell this story. Yeah. <laughs> have to make this. And so, and so we did, we, we did initially a documentary. That's what I was doing at the time were documentary mm. films. And so, uh, for PBS, we did a, a one hour documentary um, and and told that story, and it turned out great. And I thought, you know, okay, good, I, I'm done. I've, I've, Check. Yes, I've, I've I've finished and I've told this story.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but it wouldn't let go of me. And it was mm-hmm. actually during the the process of making that documentary when I began to realize, okay, this is a story that needs to get out past um, a, a PBS audience. Yeah. You know that this is a story that that changes people who hear it. And that it needs to get to a much broader audience, and so um, I started writing the screenplay for a, a dramatic version, for a theatrical version of the film, um, while I was just finishing up the documentary. So, so that was in two thousand one, okay. when this started, and um, two thousand
0: one. Okay, <laughs> when
1: we when we started on the documentary, awesome. and uh, and you know, it's it's obviously a long uh, process, but. Uh, um, it's a story that won't let go of me, mm. and uh, and I'm, I'm compelled, and I don't fully understand why, frankly. I mm. know that I've had some deep spiritual experiences that have yeah. pushed me forward and on yeah. this, um, but there's also part of me that, that says, man, I, I, I don't really fully know why I'm the one that's supposed to be mm. sharing this story with the world, but um, I can't not do it, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think something beautiful is sometimes words fail to describe how something impacts us, and your responsibility, or your responsibility here that you feel so personally, isn't that you know how this might affect people exactly, but you know that it can affect them in a positive way, and it's hard to explain. But how it touched your life, I feel that's what I hear from you is this will touch so many lives in a beautiful and positive way.
1: That's that's beautifully said. Yeah, and I actually really appreciate this venue being able to be on your podcast because uh you know, this is a film that's going to go out to the world and and mm-hmm. although it has this beautiful tie to our faith,
2: yeah.
1: um it's not what the story's fully about. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a part of that story yeah. and we, and we don't hide it or anything like that, but it's it's a much broader story that reaches a worldwide audience. So I spend a lot of time talking about this in a little bit different context as I'm meeting with mm with the executives in, in Hollywood, right. or, or, you know, those kinds of things, I, I don't always feel um, that it's appropriate to delve into some of the more spiritual underpinnings mm. of my connection to the story, Yeah, but I'm grateful to be able to do it. So yes. I love being in this kind of, you know, I love being a guest on your podcast where we can explore right. some of those other elements that I don't get to a lot.
0: I'm excited to get into that. So yeah. what aspects of Helmut's story relate to faith and struggle and sometimes the the wrestle that we have between differing opinions and thoughts and feelings what parts of Helmut's story um can we talk about that might be applicable to our listeners and to this audience of faith of, of members of the church of Jesus Christ
1: it's a really good question um it might be helpful for me to give a little bit of context of Let's do it. of what of what Helmut did. Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of who he was and what he did.
0: Buckle up, everyone! This is you're just going to want to see it now. I'm just excited. <laughs> this is
1: so great. <laughs> um, uh, so Helmut was born and raised mm. in in Hamburg, Germany, in mm. Nazi Germany. So he was he was born in 25. Hitler came into power in 1933. So when Helmut right. about when he was getting baptized um, is when is when hitler was was coming into power yeah um so he really kind of it's it's you know it's it's kind of all he knew as yeah. a as a as a young child you know was 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 growing up in this in nazi mm-hmm. germany yeah. um as hitler's power became more and more um uh, pervasive yeah. and encircling and yeah. uh, um and you know he he was part of the hitler youth as all of his all of his friends were he kind of had to be you yeah. know it really wasn't a choice he was part of the Hitler Youth, but he was also on the Nazi Party fast track. And what I mean by that, he was, a, he was brilliant. He was a really, really bright young man. Mm. Loved studies. From what we know, he wasn't really heavily involved in athletics or those kinds of things, but yeah. man, he loved uh, politics. He loved to study. Wow. You know, he, he loved literature um, and those kinds of things. And he actually, so when he was 16, he got a job working for the Nazi government in the city hall <laughs> at <laughs> at uh, in Hamburg, mm-hmm. there, um, you know, very very young to, to have that kind of a, a, a position, but there he was, mm-hmm. and and again, like I say, just kind of on this on this Nazi Party fast track.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: a couple of important things happened about the same time, and one was that um, he, there was a member of their their little branch there, their their church branch in in Hamburg who was Jewish, he had converted, he and his sister had converted to the church. His name okay. was Salomon Schwartz, and, um, and he and Helmut were friends. Mm. Um, and when Helmut saw the things that were beginning to happen to the Jews, um, yeah. that was, a, that was a, a real, that was one of the eye-openers for him, mm. and especially for his friend. And eventually what happened is his friend was, was arrested and taken and sent to a concentration camp.
2: Oh my word. Um,
1: that was probably the last straw for, for Helmut and yeah. kind of the catalyst for him to begin, you know, asking himself, what can I do? Yeah. Um, the other thing that happened is his older brother was a German soldier fighting in France. And when he came home on leave once, he brought, he smuggled home, his older brother smuggled home <laughs> a shortwave radio, wow. which was highly illegal in Nazi Germany. Right. Um And it actually, he brought it home, and it didn't work, but Helmut being Helmut, (laughs) took it apart and fixed it.
0: Of course he (laughs) did. Repaired it. And started
1: listening to uh, stations that nobody else in Germany could could get, unless they had a shortwave radio. Right. And he started listening to the BBC, from what was broadcasting in the German language, and it was during the war, and so they were broadcasting what was really happening on the battlefronts, what was really happening in Nazi Germany, as opposed to what... Everybody else was getting on what they called the the only radio you could legally have in Nazi yeah. Germany was the People's Radio. Right. And right. so people were hearing what Hitler wanted them to hear. Absolutely. Um, and Helmut was starting to hear the truth. And it just resonated with him. And so that happening and mm-hmm. his friend, his Jewish friend being taken and arrested and, and taken away. Yeah. Those things kind of all came together. And he was the in, in his little LDS branch, he was the branch secretary. <laughs> And so his one of his jobs was to type letters to the, the soldiers that were serving from their branch in the German okay. Army. And so he borrowed the typewriter, took it <laughs> home, and on that same typewriter began typing up anti-Hitler, anti-Nazi flyers and wow. leaflets. And typing them up and then sneaking out by himself at first and putting them up on the streets and putting them in phone booths and, and oh dropping them God. in mailboxes and those kinds of things. And then soon, he recruited his two best friends from church, yeah. you know, Karl um, Heinz Schnibbe, who he I, spoke had the, with. Yeah, wow. yeah, I had the chance of actually becoming dear friends with, wow. and and also their other friend, Rudy Voba was his name, mm. and and Helmut would make up, type up these flyers with using his, his using information he was getting from the BBC. Yeah, I was
0: going to say the truth, you know, that he's receiving from that extra radio. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But
1: also... He, because he worked in the city hall, that's where they kept an archive of banned literature and yeah, banned yeah, books. Right. He had access to that. He was borrowing banned books and, wow. and, and referencing those in his writings. He was also just using his own insight and intellect yeah. and putting two and two together and writing incredibly well-written flyers. The Gestapo started finding these and people would find them and some of them would turn them into the gestapo right the gestapo was reading these and they were convinced that it was like a university professor oh, wow. that was writing these and so that's what they were they became obsessed with trying to figure out who's putting out right. these flyers because now helmet and his friends are are, are operating you know he typed them up they actually started sneaking into the church into their church at night because there was a mimeograph there and started using that to crank out copies <laughs> Multiple copies oh, of it, my word. and 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 that's what they would take out and put out. You know, on the the nighttime Hamburg, mm. um, people would wake up in the morning and and find these little red pieces of paper, kind of quarter sheet size pieces of paper. As he started yeah. on that, yeah, and then that eventually wasn't enough, and so he started using full, well, what we what we would call like full size sheets of paper, eight and yeah. a half by eleven, where right. they're actually a little bigger, but white paper no margins he was just like filling them with with anti hitler anti nazi information oh incredibly well written and these three boys operated for almost a year the whole time like i said the gestapo was just intent on, sure. on finding Absolutely. out who's doing that that's been one of the real for me one of the amazing parts of this project is as i've been able to do a lot of research into the gestapo agent who was obsessed with finding out who was putting these out and who eventually tracked them down and and arrested that, you know, arrested Helmut and his life was changed because of his interactions with this boy, which is, we can talk about that later, but it was really just a a fascinating story. So all of that to say, all of this was happening during the the weeknights and they would get together and listen to the radio and he would hand out, give them these flyers and they would go out and do this, Mm -hmm. but on Sunday, they're all going to church and they're, blessing and passing the sacrament right and and being faithful you know and in fact some of Helmut's flyers although he never directly mentions the church you can see gospel principles kind of laced throughout wow. these um, uh, these flyers that he's written so long there's some background
2: yeah for people I think necessary. it's helpful to understand right, um, right.
1: <clears throat> one of the one of the challenges for Helmut and for anybody, who was a member of our faith in Nazi Germany and frankly who was a member of any faith yeah. in Nazi Germany was how to how to reconcile mm-hmm. what their government was doing and what their government was saying and and what Christ taught right you know because yeah. it was it was it was difficult for all of them and and there were they were finding that if they weren't supporting the government was really cracking down on their church there were you know there were priests and pastors um, yeah. and others of other faiths who were being arrested and put into work camps and concentration camps yeah,
0: already and um. so
1: there was there was a lot of pressure and there was also for for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints it was an additional pressure because there was this perspective in Nazi Germany that this was an American church and of course at that time the Americans were the enemy right and so um, there was there it was not uncommon to have two members of the Gestapo sitting at the back of a church meeting just observing wow. and seeing. So in, yeah. in Helmut's little branch here in in Hamburg, um, his branch president, um, a man named Arthur Sonder, mm. um, a wonderful man, faithful member of the church, also a devout believer in the Nazi party, wow. and a yeah. member of the Nazi party. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Helmut would go to church on Sundays especially after his eyes opened and he was realizing what was really happening behind the curtain in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And and seeing um, a good branch president who would begin the meetings, he would come to the pulpit and then raise his arm up and say, Heil Hitler. And the members of the branch were all expected to respond. And, and right. sometimes he would actually lock the doors to the church once everybody was in and have everyone listen to a speech from Hitler on the radio. Or, um, and now it, it's important to point out that this was one member of the church, and and he was you know a devout Nazi and mm-hmm. and a devout member of the church, and we hear that and we just think, wait a minute, how? That's unfathomable, that, right? How like, could that how possibly could that be? be? Yeah,
0: um,
1: it's important to remember that this was Nazi Germany. There were yeah. Nazis in Nazi Germany, yeah. and it's and it's easy for us to look back eighty years ago and and say you know well there was black and white, there was yeah. the evil Nazis, and there was the good resistance fighters Absolutely. or whatever. Um, yeah. For those living in there, in that space and time, mm-hmm. there was this huge gray area in the middle, wow. and and they were that's where they were making their decisions every day. So this mm-hmm. brand, this branch president um, was making decisions that he thought were right.
0: Absolutely, you know? yeah. And Yeah.
1: Um, of course, in retrospect, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's easy to see, it's easy. and he could see that as well. I had the the opportunity and the privilege of meeting two of his sons. And really learning and talking about them, what their father was like. Um, one of the things that their father did when he was branch president, they had this this one Jewish member um, and his sister. Um, he one day they went, they arrived at church, and there was a sign on the door that said, "Jews not allowed to enter." Um, mm. And Carl told me he remembers seeing their friend Zalomon standing outside weeping. Um, and and again, it was it was not long after that where um, when Solomon was arrested and taken, mm. um, and and so Helmut was was trying to to I think Helmut was truly trying to figure out how do I reconcile.
0: It was a you know, wrestle, yeah. yeah.
1: this faith that yeah. I love, this leader that uh, there's some there's some evidence that that he had kind of a father son relationship mm. with this branch president because his own stepfather was also a member of the Nazi party. He was actually part of the Nazi police. And so they didn't get along so well. Wow! Um, and so Helmut was the struggle of, of what do I do? And, yeah. and we believe that it was, it was when, when his friend Zalimon disappeared, that he, he picked up really the only weapon he knew how to use. And that was a typewriter right. and started typing those flyers. Wow.
0: Hearing these characters, they're not, they're not characters, they're people.
1: These were real people.
0: And it humanizes what it was like in Nazi Germany at that time. Because you're right, when we read about in the textbooks, when we talk about it and we read books now with perfect 2020 vision, or close to, it's hard to have compassion for these people, what they were going through. But I was really struck when you talked about Helmut was getting baptized the time that Hitler was rising to power, 1932, right? And that, it strikes me because yourself in his shoes you were you're getting baptized you're eight years old this is your if you're in the if you're in america right this is your president this is just life as you know it life as you know it, and for their parents as well and it's also interesting we don't need to get into world history but this is coming off of you know world war one and that was a huge transition for the for the country as well and and i think a, a major catalyst to the nazi party and hitler oh, right nice. and, and the anti-semitism it was like a blame it was a scapegoat right it's like That's right there's so much to this story and hearing these people. And you know all of their names, which is beautiful. And you know the names of the people who are in it. You don't know that you're not talking about people who are American soldiers or British soldiers who are over there. You're talking about Germans who were there in their lives. And I think that's what's so important about this story, just like you're saying. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. No, it's, to, to, it's, it's one of the blessings of my life yeah. to have been able to meet and become close friends with Carl. Yeah. Carl Heinz Schnibbe, yeah. th- th- you know he was a resistance fighter. He was captured and tortured by the Gestapo. Yeah. He was held in prison camps and in work camps, you know uh, to 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 talk to um, these these women who were teenage girls with those boys who knew them, and um, I talked to a woman who was the last person that we know who saw Salomon Schwartz alive. Mm. she was she shares this the experience of standing in a train station. After he had disappeared and no one knew where, what happened to him and seeing this train slowly go through the station and she saw him in the window standing with a lot of other Jews oh. and he had a the Jewish star on his sleeve and, and she said she just screamed out his name, Zahramon. Yeah. And that's the last time she saw him or anybody that we know, you know saw him, um, probably on his way to Auschwitz yeah. at that point. Right. So, so, you know, those, wow. those kinds of experiences, these were real people, um, yeah. this
0: really happened yeah. <laughs> and um anyway. And if you're Helmut you've painted this picture of the wrestle that he was going through, the internal struggle, the spiritual faith wrestle, but also the political everything like it was just not uh what's what's a good word? There was just a dissonance. Yeah, and everything.
1: Cognitive dissonance. Yes, literally. I mean, we talk about that. We hear that that phrase yeah. more today, and and I think it's actually an important phrase because yeah. I think it's important um, that that we recognize that cognitive dissonance when it comes to our mm. faith mm. Um, is is an important thing to to recognize and accept yeah. and and deal with, you know. Yeah. And so, if we can look at a story like. Like Helmut's boy, talk about cognitive dissonance. Right. Um, we know that he loved the gospel. This, as yeah. even as a teenager, he loved the gospel. Mm-hmm. He loved going to church, um, and passing
0: the sacrament. He like, lo- yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. This
1: was all a part of his life, yeah. and and by all accounts, he had g- great affection for his branch president, mm-hmm. but was struggling with how do I deal with with this? What this man is doing? Yeah. And I, you know, it may be. Yeah. Because, as I mentioned, you know, with all faiths in, in Nazi Germany, it was a struggle. There's a unique aspect to, to our faith there, um, particularly because of the 12th article of faith. We, we believe in being subject to kings, if I can get this right, kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, uh, in obeying and honoring and sustaining the law. Perfect. Um, and, and so for, wow. yeah. for a lot of members of the church, that was like, okay, well, that's what we need to do then. We yeah. need to, we're supposed to honor and sustain yeah. our, our elect, duly elected leader, which Hitler was. He was elected. Yeah. Now, there's some you know nuance to that as well, wow. but, uh, but he was elected. And so many, many members of the church felt that that was their reason that they needed to, to support him.
0: Wow. 12th Article of Faith. I think it's interesting that when we talk about this, so Matt and I discussed, how do, how do we talk about Helmut's story respectfully and especially in, in this lens of faith? It's easy to look at this story and to, at like, at the onset, you see its complexity, that cognitive dissonance of the 12th article of faith, Nazism, his, everything, right? And to just want to step away and, like, put on blinders and just not step into that complex space that helmet was in, and I feel like sometimes we do that. There's a really great talk about simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to, I'll put it in the show notes. I'm trying to remember who it was by, but um, it's, it's, it's beautiful about stepping into this wrestle, and that's a good space to be in if you're using the right tools, meaning like asking for the accompaniment of the Holy Ghost, right? Reading your scriptures, those kinds of things, but it's important that we talk about when I talked to Matt, I said, I want to talk about this story and I want to delve into these complexities because I think it's important to do that. I, I think it's a problem when we choose to just avoid them because then when it happens to us, we're not prepared or or we're, we're blindsided or we're really thrown. In, and I think that leads to a lot of crisis of faith is yeah. not stepping into these complexities. So Matt, like, talk us through your perspective or maybe what... I, we can't say what Helmut's perspective was, right, but how, how do you start to slowly reconcile or how did Helmut reconcile it or what's, what's your take on working through that cognitive dissonance with the 12th article of faith and with um, needing to sustain church leaders and also obey like the 12th article of faith and, and also support your government leaders? Was that a loaded question? It,
1: it, it's, <laughs> Take it's a any great, part
0: of that. <laughs> that's right. It's a great
1: question and, and, and let's unpack it. Yeah, um, unpack it. One uh, step at a time. That's that's right. Um I, I think back to when I was a a missionary. I served a mission in France mm. and and had these incredible revelatory experiences. Even though I was born and raised in the church, I really my testimony, as mm. is quite common, yeah, you know, being in, in that um, pressure cooker, yeah, <laughs> spiritual pressure cooker a of, of, of a mission. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, I received experiences and, and uh, personal testimonies of things that were just life changing and still are. Yeah. But in retrospect, I can look back and see that it was a a deep but simple testimony
2: mm-hmm. that I
1: had, and 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 if I can say it this way, probably lacked some nuance. You know, there were, there were, there were things about the church that, um, that I didn't know. There were things in church history, some specific things or claims about church history that I wasn't aware of that over the years, as I've, as I've strived to become, you know, it's, this is all a process of trying to, it's that, it's that primary hymn. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And, and emphasis on the word trying,
0: trying, trying real hard.
1: that's, (laughs) That's, that's the, that's the part. And so, but in that process, I've you know, I've I've become aware of, of things that have made me say, Well wait a minute, that doesn't fit into this this testimony that I had when I was nineteen.
2: Right.
1: So how do I what do I do with that? You know? Um and I can rem- I can remember as a I was in my thirties, I was already married with children and, and reading some things about Joseph Smith mm-hmm. that um that I hadn't heard before and that really bothered me
2: mm.
1: and and at first I kind of did maybe what you were talking about it's kind of like I'm just going to push that aside because I don't um I don't understand that and I just I don't yeah. I don't kind of kind of I don't want to think about it yeah you know yeah um I was actually on as I was going through that I was on a business trip back east and and one night <laughs> I went uh Ran into a, a someone. I met someone at the hotel I was staying at, and we just kind of started chatting. And hey, where are you from? I said Utah. Oh, are you Mormon? You know that comes <laughs> up pretty quickly, of
0: course. Yeah.
1: And yes, I said. You know, and 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 he said, and he went right to this this question about Joseph Smith that I had just learned about maybe a week or two before. Wow. And he said, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Now, if he'd said that, you know, a month earlier, I would have said, well, that's not true. Yeah. Now I didn't know how to respond. And so I was, Mm -hmm. so I think my response was something lame, like, well, you can't believe everything you read. But inside I said, I got to find, I got to find an answer to this. Yeah. And so I can't just have this on the side shelf. Yeah. You know, this is not something that can just sit on a shelf for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's okay. That's exactly that's that's what that's I've realized. Okay. That's exactly it. Yeah. And for me, I made it a, a matter of fasting and prayer. I took it face on, head yeah. on, wow. and made it a, a matter of, of fasting and prayer. And it wasn't like an answer that came quickly or easily. Yeah. It was a matter of months, um, but I will mm-hmm. say this: you know, as I was finding my testimony. Of Joseph Smith, faltering is the wrong word, but there there were fissures that were beginning mm. in it, you know, and yeah. that was bothersome to me. Yeah. It really bothered me. And so in that quest of trying to find answers to those specific questions, it was interesting that I did find some answers, yeah. but in what for me was the real answer was the Lord finally saying to me, Matt, you know what you know. You yeah. know Joseph Smith. And and he gave with me at that time, he gave me an overwhelming, just I felt it from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, just wow. this love for Joseph Smith, mm. knowing that he was a prophet.
2: Yeah.
1: And that feeling, like I for the next six months, people would just hearing his name mentioned in passing, I would get that feeling again. Wow. So that was, and so... There, are, I'm still searching for answers, specific answers to these questions, mm-hmm. you know, to some questions I've found a lot,
2: yeah.
1: um, but there are some that I don't have answers to, but I'm grateful mm-hmm. that the Lord was able to say, remember what you know. Yeah, um, That's kind of a long answer to your question. Wow, so if I tie beautiful. that back now to this 16 year old in Nazi Germany, who is looking at this faith that he's grown up in and that he loves and seeing a branch president who's, who's Doing things that just don't seem right to him, right? And and the decisions that that he's going to make, you know, how do I reconcile what I'm seeing? How do I reconcile that with the, with the twelfth article of faith?
2: Yeah,
1: it may be worth delving into. Receiving personal inspiration, Mm -hmm. um. So important to follow, our living prophet, and I believe that with all of my heart. Hundred percent. I also know. That having, I mean, I was your bishop, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I screwed up all the time. Oh. <laughs> you know, um, and I have a better perspective now on those who are called to lead. Right. Um, none of us, like, tried at asked for that calling. None of mm-hmm. us, you know, ran for office or right. anything like that. Somebody else asked us to do it, and mm-hmm. we gulped and said yes.
2: Yeah.
1: And. And in our imperfections, oh. we we do the best we can, and so yeah. and that applies to every Relief Society president, every bishop, every yeah. apostle, mm-hmm. every prophet, yeah. um, every General Relief Society president, every mm-hmm. Primary teacher. Um, that applies to all of us in this faith of volunteers.
0: Yeah, of volunteers, absolutely. You know?
1: um, and so I, I try to remember that mm-hmm. as, and and. My experience is not nearly as stark or as, as um, I would say, dramatic as Helmut's was. I'm not living in Nazi Germany, right. and I'm not seeing...
0: Risking your life putting up you know, that's, anti-pamphlets. And, that, yeah. That's
1: right. Um, right. But I, along with, with all of us in our beautiful faith,
0: yeah.
1: uh, trying to navigate the questions that come
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the doubts that come Mm-hmm. and and the the things that, that don't seem to make sense to me
0: yeah. um
1: without throwing out all that is so good
0: that you know and yeah. that I know that's yeah. right yeah i had that's beautifully well said thank you i had a stake president and his wife and and she shared with us that when she has questions it's easy to put that question on or a doubt right and just put it right in front of you you can't go anywhere. So if you if you visualize this question as a box and you put it in front of you and you can't move forward. But as we learn from Elder Uupdorf, he gives a great talk about moving forward and what gives us balance is forward momentum. So what you just described is similar to what Elder Ubdorf and my stake president and his wife talk about, which is get that box. Don't toss it. You don't have to toss it and just be blind, right? Just put it to the side but keep moving forward. Right. Just keep moving forward and trusting. And I love that you mentioned it was your seeking for question for answers to your question was filled with fasting and prayer. And we learn in the Book of Mormon about how how to receive personal revelation. There's lots of verses about that. And I love, I love that I was actually just reading in First Nephi, and Nephi's asking to see the vision that his father saw and the one of the first things that the spirit says is what desirest thou and i love that because i think what the spirit like what what i felt this is just by kim right guys <laughs> <laughs> what i felt when i was reading that is that our the answers that we receive are limited by the questions that we have that we ask by the desires of our hearts right when the, when the spirit is asking what desirest thou is your desire faith in the lord jesus christ first and then is it let God prevail? And if that's your desire when you're truly seeking an answer, then I believe the answer comes line upon line, precept upon precept, right? But it's it's not instant. And I love that you shared that there's still things that you don't have answers to, and that's also okay. But you hold on to what you know. You put that box to the side and it's with you, but you don't let it get in the way of your forward momentum. And you continue to just let your desire always be, what's my desire? You know, Nephi answers, and he says, "Well, I have faith in Lord Jesus Christ." You know that I do. You know, and um, and I think that goes to a broken heart, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. Right? It's that it's that humility of like I just desire to know what what you can share with me. Right? What I'm ready for.
1: Right. I, I, I love that, and I love that <clears throat> along with we have. These, as we have these questions and doubts, um, we can set them to the side, but it doesn't mean it's not like we're putting on blinders. No, you know? it's just a, you know. Maybe
0: you're carrying them. Yeah, right? that's, I think
1: I, I, maybe that's a yeah. that's an apt analogy. there, yeah. as a, as a, we're we're carrying them them with us, mm-hmm. and I know that for uh, a lot of wonderful members of the church, sometimes carrying them it, it gets heavier mm. and heavier, and um, if I can just say, um, because you know, I have dear family members who are stepping away from the church, um, yeah. and uh, and loved ones and, and dear friends, a mission companion who we were—he was the most amazing mission companion—and yeah. um, has been a, a bishop a couple elect. times, yeah—and yeah. And has stepped away from the church. And so I know that that—and he's still obviously still such a good man. Yeah. Um, when I when I talk to to these wonderful souls who are, who are, you know, afraid that they are losing their testimonies or stepping away. Um, first of all, I think it's really important that we not pass any kind of judgment on them right. and where they're at and their decision. To, they too yeah. are going to receive personal inspiration and revelation. Yeah. What I do try and share with them is almost in a pleading way. <laughs> to say just to consider
2: mm.
1: how much we need their perspective and their questions and their voice inside the church. Sometimes I think mm. that that their their perspective uh, will, is what the church needs and right. it needs it from the inside.
2: Right.
1: Again, I understand That's that sometimes beautiful. they they reach a point where for now it's not possible for them, you know, for their own mental health yeah. and well-being. Yeah. That they need to step away, and I respect that, mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. But if they can find a way mm-hmm. to be that, be that voice from within the church,
2: yeah.
1: um, that uh, that I think I think the Lord wants. I think the Lord wants that those voices, of course, voices of kindness and respect and everything, but also yeah. that perfect balance of grace and truth of saying what needs yeah. to be said.
0: Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. eliminating contention, but still. We're not asking you to not have those questions that's right yeah there's yeah. a
1: there's a scene that there's a scene that I wrote uh, into the script, and I don't know that this ever happened, but yeah. um, where um, after Helmut is a resistance fighter mm. secretly but you know goes to church and has this good relationship with the branch president, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't know what this kid is doing uh, at night yeah um, but he's been asked to give a talk in church and and his remarks are about how. The Savior was described as being filled with grace and truth mm. and you know we're all familiar with that phrase, but it yeah. means a lot to me and I and I wonder if it meant a lot to someone like Helmut Hubner he was filled with grace he was kind, he yeah. was gentle, he was loving, but he was also filled with truth he said what needed to be said yeah. he spoke things he said things that were hard to hear uh, for people yeah. and and I and and so I think that that's that's an important part of our of all of our faith journeys.
0: Yeah, yeah. To
1: be able to strive to be like the savior, to be filled with grace and truth.
0: Right, right. Well, Helmut was passing the sacrament. This yeah. is that's that's real, that's facts, right? Like yeah. he's he's serving in the kingdom of God still. He's not stepping away fully and somehow he found the resolve to still follow Jesus Christ cuz probably because Again, we're speculating a lot here, but I just have to imagine that someone in his position dealing with so much cognitive dissonance uh, and, and pulling from different sides that are so important in your life, he, Helmut, had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's powerful. Like, if you really think about that, having a relationship with someone means that you've served them, you've spent time with them, you've prayed with them, you've loved them, right? You've asked questions, oh God, like why this, right? Like a relationship is, think of your your intimate relationships with your, maybe your spouse or your family or close friends, It's, it's a relationship. And I think maybe that's how you do it. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ while you're going through this wrestle. And while you're asking these deep and sincere and difficult questions, you just keep your relationship with Jesus Christ at the forefront. And this reminds me of, you know, no spoilers, but Helmut's letter, one of the last things that he said.
1: I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah so on the the last day of his life, yeah, uh, just before he was to be executed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they granted him the... Uh, They said he could write three letters, and so he wrote a letter to his mother, Mm -hmm. and he wrote a letter to his grandparents, and he wrote a letter to uh, another family that lived in the, that attended the same branch with them, the Sommerfeld family, um, who were really kind of like second family for him. The letter to his mother and his grandparents were destroyed during the war, and so those didn't survive, but that letter, that third letter that he wrote to to Marie Sommerfeld Mm -hmm. um, survived, And in it, in some of his final words, he says, he shares his testimony, I know that God lives. He says, I have done nothing wrong, and he will be the proper judge of this matter. Yeah, there's no, you know, apologizing for what he did, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Whatever his cognitive dissonance was, you know, as he was deciding if he was going to Speak out against the government. You yeah. know, as he was deciding if he was going to stand up for what he was realizing was the truth. Yeah. Whatever those that phase that he went through of cognitive dissonance um, was gone when he was knew he was just hours away from from meeting his savior. Wow. And uh, and so that's what he said as he shared his testimony, and then he said, um, "Until we meet again in that better place." And so. It's yeah. powerful. Actually, had the privilege of meeting the, their son uh, Werner Sommerfeld, who was just a few years younger than Helmut, but wow. was close friends with them. And so, this letter to his mother mm. was a treasure yeah. in their family.
0: Of course, yeah. What courage! Wow, what a guy! I want to meet him. <laughs> so do so I. So do you? <laughs> I'm sure not as badly as you do. <laughs> wow. As we're listening to this story and hearing Helmut's conviction and also just his love, I just, I can't believe that in these letters there's no anger. Like, I'm not hearing any anger, right? I didn't read the actual letter, but, like, I haven't heard any anger in them or resentment. That's right. It's just love. So after hearing this story, like, we've given our listeners and, and myself, I've gotten a taste of it. So it makes sense to me why now you've wanted to go on this journey and take no matter how long it took to tell his story but can you take us there into your personal reasons or or why you just felt so strongly that you needed to share this story a little bit more like this has taken so long you said over 20 years yeah and that's amazing and we kind of get a taste about why but I would love to hear from you personally then after hearing a little bit more about Helmut then what's your purpose in telling this story
1: and yeah I uh, thank you yeah, and i alluded to it a little bit yeah. ago but it, thank you for asking again this is one of those it's great to be in a venue where i can delve into some of these <laughs> aspects of it a little bit more yeah um started writing the script in 2002 yeah um but i had no plan in, in directing it myself it was I actually it was a really big Los Angeles producer, Hollywood producer that had, you know, that we were writing the script for and they, they were going to do it. They were going to hire another director. Yeah. And then um, one night I, I was at the temple actually. Mm-hmm. And in that cool. space, in that sacred space, just praying about other things, you know, what about my career and, and those kinds of things. And, and I just happened to ask, what about this Helmut Huebner story? Mm. And then had one of those experiences that I don't have very often, but an overwhelmingly overpowering experience where the Lord enlightened my mind and, and, and spoke to my soul and said, Matt, you need to be the one who directs this. You need to make this movie. And then for about the next 10 or 15 minutes gave me very clear directions on what I needed to do and what I shouldn't do Mm. and how to kind of focus my efforts to be, to tell this story. I can remember being so grateful for that. You know, you have those experiences. Yeah. Like I say, I don't have those very often. I
0: don't
1: either. <laughs> I wish I did.
0: I know, and um, I always wish I had a pen with me when I did. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um,
1: I got home and, of course, told Nisia, my wife, this just happened, and this is mm-hmm. what I think we're supposed to do. And I can remember telling her, um, kind of warning her, you know, this, hun, this could take a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 17 years later. 17
0: years later. Yeah.
1: Um wow but i've i've learned that for me mm-hmm. the lord gives me those kinds of really really powerful experiences not very often because he gives me those when he knows this is going to be a journey mm-hmm. and one of the things that my wife and i have have really learned and frankly come to appreciate in this process yeah. is that when the lord directs us to do something even though I wish it could just be, okay, so this, I know that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, so this is going to be a nice downhill path. This is going to be, this, we're doing what's right. You yeah. know, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, so this shouldn't be hard. Yeah. Um, the opposite is usually true. <laughs> when, when we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, when we are where the Lord wants us to be,
2: yeah.
1: it's most often an uphill steep, uphill climb. Yeah. And there are plenty of obstacles, and so you know over the over the course of this journey, um, you know having to try and raise millions of dollars to to make a, a film you know, like this, a World War II film, yeah. um, got close. In fact, in 2007, man, we were really close. We had an Academy Award nominated actor on it, two of them. Wow. Uh, we had you know this the we had the the cinematographer who shot Apollo 13 was was on board, and oh all these gosh. things were falling into place. And then the world housing market collapsed Ugh. in 2008, and all of our investors <laughs> pulled their money out. Yeah, yeah. And so it took a while. That was tough. It took a while to kind of regroup, and and took a number of years to kind of okay, kind of get the momentum going again. And did you to, feel
0: like, sorry to interrupt no, you, but please. I'm just wondering, like at that point, I, I mean, I feel like I know, but what kept you going then? Because it, at that point, was it was it just like, well, I tried, I, I gave it my best effort. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and frankly, um, there have been plenty of times when I have been ready to give up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, my mm. amazing wife she is will not amazing. let that happen. <laughs> In fact, if I can share one experience Please. there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, there During that time when we were trying to regroup, I'd actually gone and... and Taking another job at a at an advertising agency, I, 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 can, I can talk about it here. I was working for Bonneville Communications. I was very involved with the I'm a Mormon campaign, oh, so you yeah. know all the back when we used to be Mormon. Totally, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> back then, and, and and loving it, you know. It was just and there was this this stability and security in a job that I wasn't used to as a freelance filmmaker, and yeah. and and that Nisia was able to enjoy and everything, and. And while we were while I was there, you know they had the the Huvener project, this World War II project was still kind of on a back burner, yeah. but I was so focused on on that job and and everything that it really wasn't progressing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I was i guess okay with that until yeah. one night when we were actually kneeling in prayer just to, before going to bed and talking <laughs> as we often do, you know yeah. and Nisia said uh, are you are we still making your movie?" and I said. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, of course, it's kind of on a back burner, and I had my little excuses,
2: yeah.
1: <clears throat> and she said, well, when, I mean, are we really doing this, and and I said, well, you understand, hon, that if I really want to dive back into that, I'm going to have to quit my job, this, yeah. you know, well-paying job, yeah. all this security, stability, stability. Yeah. Um, I would have to do that, mm-hmm. she said, well, do you still feel like the Lord wants you to do this, mm-hmm. and I said, yes, I do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She said, "Then what are we doing?"
2: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, it uh, it took me another year to have the courage to quit that job.
2: Wow.
1: And the faith, but it was because of her.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And so, to ask, mm-hmm. why are we still doing this? Um. It's it's. Really helpful and perhaps crucial to find someone to lean on. Yeah, <laughs> when we're, when we're ready to give up, when yeah. we're, whatever that is, ready ready to give up on what we feel like the Lord has asked, or what we know the Lord has asked us to do, or ready to give up on on our faith, whatever it is, if we can find
2: mm-hmm.
1: that someone that we trust and that we love, and just lean on them for mm-hmm. a while,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? as I continue to do, frankly, on a daily basis with yeah. my. Sweet, eternal campaign.
0: <laughs> She's amazing. Wow. I'm not surprised by that story at all.
1: So we, I quit that job that I loved. Yeah. Dived back in, started getting momentum, started getting investors again. Yeah. And then um COVID hit and the whole industry, Ooh. film industry shut down and, yeah. and our investors pulled back out again. Um This time though... Yes, I was disappointed. It was. It was. You yeah. know, there was times I started realizing, oh, this is what it means to feel like when you're depressed. Yeah. I didn't really have uh, a handle of that before. Yeah. Um, yeah, But we kept moving forward, and it was in this period when we actually. Um, started meeting with Angel Studios. They're the, the the ones who do The Chosen. I don't know yes. if you've seen The Chosen. Oh, or... are you
0: kidding me? I'm a big fan of The Chosen. <laughs> Isn't it good? Yes, I love
1: uh, it. I love, it's such a refreshing depiction of the Savior. Talk
0: about, yeah, something that humanizes someone that we love and want to come to know more. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. And, uh... And so they were, you know, that's when we started meeting with them when The Chosen was really kind of starting to ramp up and they were realizing, oh, this is something.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, and so we, we partnered with Angel Studios and, and now are, are moving down that path. And it's looking really good. It feels like we're kind of on, on the cusp <laughs> yeah. of, 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 you know, of actually being able to make yeah. this film, which has, has transformed from a, a two-hour movie yeah. into a four-part limited series. Wow. Um, which is great because now we get to dive even deeper into yeah. like into the branch president's Don't story leave and his things family out. Yeah. right and and diving deeper into the Gestapo agent which we haven't talked about and yeah. that's probably another discussion but yeah. his family you know just to understand that he was this Gestapo agent who would do bad things during the day um would go home at night and he was a loving husband and father yeah. and we know that we have evidence of that wow. you know so um Another one of those Mm. things that's kind of difficult to come to grips with. But um, but all of those things are now going to be part of this this, uh, limited series, the Truth and Conviction series with Angel Studios.
0: Wow, this is amazing. Even just hearing you talk about it, I just am filled with even more compassion for people affected in that time and era. And not just the people... That we typically think about, and we should think about, like the Jews, right? The people who were hiding the Jews, like even just the German people themselves, but people who were on in, in the Gestapo. Is that how you say it? The Gestapo. You yeah. say it, really, Gestapo. Oh, yeah. Gestapo. Got you it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you all didn't know that you were going to learn how to say Gestapo. <laughs> but, um, having more compassion for them and seeing their lives too. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: It's it's a it's been an opportunity for me and hopefully as this as this series is released and and millions become exposed to this story mm-hmm. it will be an opportunity for millions to take a step back and and through the lens of a story that took place in Nazi Germany with this brilliant young teenager who stood up for what was right, come what may.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: that was one of the things that mm. they grew up singing that hymn that we all are familiar with, yeah. do what is right, let the consequence follow.
2: Yeah,
1: And that's what they did. Wow. But also, you know, looking at, at a branch president who was doing the best that he could in a, in a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. And also a Gestapo agent, not a member of the church, but a Gestapo agent who was also a loving husband and father. And how do you reconcile that yeah. with what he did to other people you know those are it this is this life is is a complex place for us in Mm -hmm. some ways it's beautifully simple but in the thick of every day Mm -hmm. it can be really complex really nuanced i'm
0: Mm.
1: i'm grateful for that but it's also a struggle
0: well and that's interesting because i think what you said too reminds me of uh, our need for a savior and there's a lot of reasons and needs for a savior right that we talk about with the atonement and but i am just thinking too of like who knows better than the savior that 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 man who is serving in the gestapo who knows his life and his story better i don't want to have to be the one to to look at his life and say this is what you did great this isn't what you did great like I, i it just puts in you you said the phrase how do you reconcile that we can't. We just can't possibly, right? But the Savior can't.
1: Yeah, maybe we're not supposed to maybe we're not entirely. Supposed I think to. I think that that's we're supposed not our to, role. Yeah, we're what, yeah. Savior asked us to love everyone.
0: Well, and Matt, like when we were talking about this conversation before this recording, you said something beautiful. You said this story transcends fill in the blank politics. Uh,
1: yeah. I, yeah it, I, it does it's really it's been actually beautiful for me to see that people who who big supporters of our project big yeah. supporters of this story come from very disparate parts of of the political spectrum we wow. have people who are who are very far left who just see this is the story this is my kind of story people who are very far right who see this is my kind of story and that's where I just think it's beautiful because it does. It's a story that, trans- that, that transcends party politics. Yeah. It's a it's a story that transcends I think an easy uh, reconciliation of what's yes. right and what's
0: Oversimplifying. wrong. Oversimplifying. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: And and, and I think uh, maybe that's why I resonate to, to that so much to the mm. story so much is because I deal with that in my own life. Yeah. Totally all. And people that yeah. I know and love deal with that and so let's instead of instead of putting it under a rug or or having a, a instead of putting it under a rug or deciding i'm out of here let's look at it yeah and 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 let's let's it's not about us having to be able to reconcile it but it's it's about us saying i'm going to try i want i want to look at this
0: mm-hmm. and including the savior oh man and how ca- like like we're talking about all this complexity like how can you Without the Savior, I was talking to a dear friend about this very thing. I have dear loved ones who believe politically speaking something very different than what I believe, and I think i still, I love them I love them so much, and what they what they think doesn't change that, but it's still hard for me to reconcile that I'm like, how can?" how can this really great person believe that? And they're probably thinking, how can my niece believe that? Or how can my cousin or my friend, right? (laughs) Believe what she believes. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that. But I, I, the thing that keeps coming back to me is you just let Christ unify. It's like the Zion people. It's like, you just have to let Christ be the unifying figure for all of this. And a phrase that has really helped me recently was Elder Cook talked about in General Conference. He said, the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a process, not an event. And someone else said that. I can't remember. President Nelson said President that. President Nelson yeah. said that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And he was quoting President Nelson in his talk. And I love that because I'm thinking we are all, our lives are a process. Our discipleship, like you talked about that about this in the beginning our faith and enduring it's a process it's a a lifelong process and i think so is the restoration of the gospel of jesus christ and and creating a zion people and ultimately we all are needing to just simply come together and have christ as that center right and it's hard to not let all these other things these political things like pull us apart but that's we can't let it
1: yeah I, i obviously i well I shouldn't say obviously I, I heartily <laughs> agree uh, with what with what you're saying and and I'll hearken back to something that I mentioned earlier that my very favorite hymn or primary song is "I'm trying to be like Jesus yeah. if when Jesus is at the center of my daily decisions and efforts, yeah. I'm more understanding of people that I don't that I, in fact, that I completely disagree with politically. Yeah, um, I'm more understanding of of people who whose weaknesses are different than mine. And yeah. because, again, capital T, I'm trying
2: yeah. to
1: be like Jesus, imperfectly, mm-hmm. but I'm trying. And and when that's my focus, um, really, all those other things. It's not that those things become less important to me. I just am able to deal with them better.
2: Yeah.
1: If I'm remembering Jesus.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: For the last 20 plus years, I have been taken with and consumed by the story of this 16-year-old in Nazi Germany mm. who made a decision to stand up for what was right, come what may. And it has had an impact on my life. But one of the things that I love most about it is because I've had teenagers, all my children are older than teenagers (laughs) now, but um, as an example for the rising generation today of somebody who dealt with real cognitive dissonance, who had faith but also had questions, who was in an extremely difficult situation and somehow this 16-year-old found the, the courage to do what he felt he was being inspired in his heart to do. And that, for me, is every reason to try and share this story and tell this story mm-hmm. to the world.
0: I've been deeply touched by hearing Helmut's story and your resolve to tell it. Thank you so much. Why are you still rowing that and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church?
1: It's such a good question. First of all, I'm so grateful to be in the boat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, I was I was born in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made several decisions. I've been out of the boat a couple times. Now <laughs> I haven't ever left the church, but I've, you know, I've, I've I've as a teenager, you know, I wasn't at all like Helmut. And um, gratefully, there were people in that boat who not only were still rowing, but who were reaching out to Mm -hmm. grab someone like me who, Mm -hmm. I wasn't swimming away per se, but I wasn't in the boat, and and helped me to climb back in the boat, put an oar in my hands, and really kind of taught me how how to row. and I've never been happier. And I guess that's the simple answer of why I'm, one of the reasons I'm still rowing is because it brings happiness to my life despite the questions and despite the problems. Mm-hmm. I'm happier when I'm rowing. But I also want to add that this is a big boat. And we can keep rowing but also sometimes we can let somebody else row and just rest our arms but stay Mm -hmm. in the boat Mm -hmm. and be grateful for those who continue to row and until we feel like we've got the strength once again to pick up that oar for someone else who may need a break, who wants to stay in the boat but who who needs a break and to pick up their oar and keep rowing.
0: That's powerful, and this whole episode for me has been so powerful and life-changing. Thank you so much.
1: So grateful to have been able to do it.
0: (laughs) In the show notes, we will list information on how and when and where you can watch this incredible film series about the Helmut Hubener story. Thanks for being with us. I hope that you have been uplifted and strengthened today, and we'll see you next time. for listening to this episode of still rowing a high five live podcast for updates on episode releases and additional motivation and resources you can find us on facebook at high five live also if you enjoy this podcast please give us a positive review on your podcast app and like us on the high five live facebook page to help us spread the word thanks for listening